0: Good morning, my name is Stella, and um, I'm reading the first Bible reading, which is Genesis 48, 1-22. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful, and I will increase your numbers, I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then. Your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine, Ephraim, and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me, so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand, and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then, He blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, as one who is over your brothers, I give the ridge of land. I took from
1: the Amorites with my sword and my bow. The uh, New Testament reading. It's from Philippians 3, starting at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. "'attaining to the resurrection from the dead. "'Not that I have already obtained all this "'or have already arrived at my goal, "'but I press on to take hold of that "'for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. "'Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself "'yet to have taken hold of it. "'But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind "'and straining toward what is ahead, "'I press on toward the goal to win the prize.' For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus.
2: Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Well done for being here today. I know it's one of those decisions we have to make at the moment, so it's um, great that we can gather still um, for how long we don't know. But um, but thank you for um, coming and sitting under God's word, fellowshipping with one another as we have this opportunity. Let's pray that God will use it to um, help us to grow. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this, your word, and this opportunity now to uh, hear you speak to us through your word and through these words of mine. Father, I pray that they may be words uh, that uh, are honouring to you and help us to grow in our knowledge and love of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we arrive in chapters 48 and 49 in our journey through the life of Joseph, The focus now returns to his father Jacob, although, as we'll see, Joseph is not out of view. With Jacob's death rapidly approaching, Genesis itself is drawing to a close. The people of God are now safely in Egypt. By God's grace, they will survive the famine and the threat uh, threat to their existence. But as Jacob's eyes grow dim with age, he understands that there's still work to be done a faithful act that he needs to perform as the patriarch of the people of God. Jacob has been blessed by God. Now, as the covenant head of the people of God, he needs to pass on that blessing to the next generation. That's how the covenant of grace works. God gave it to Abraham and said it was for him and for his offspring. Isaac blessed Jacob with the same blessing that he himself received. So Jacob now summons his strength and sits up in bed to bless his grandsons turned sons with the blessing of God, giving them the place within the story that God is now writing. And as he blesses each of his sons in chapter 49, the words are not just wishful thinking for his sons, but prophecy. They're prophetic because he speaks the very words of God, the substance of which God will bring into reality as the story of redemption moves forward. Now, we'll talk about the importance of the blessings themselves, but this story of blessing includes some twists. For the blessings don't go quite where we'd expect them to go. In fact, they're not quite the blessings that you'd think would be be recorded. The blessings of the firstborn doesn't go to the firstborn. It goes to Joseph, who... In his two sons, adopted by Jacob, attains a double inheritance as the honour of the firstborn would, may, well, would normally get. And when Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, he gives the greater blessing to Ephraim, the younger brother, by crossing his arms, passing over the firstborn, and putting his right hand on the head of the younger one. And then there's Judah in chapter 49. Joseph and Ephraim seem to have all the prominence in this later part of Genesis but they'll be passed over for the story of redemption moves to the line of the kings beginning with David ending with Jesus that will come from the family line of Judah a man who we're introduced has a heart as hard and as cold as stone he's not the kind of guy you'd expect to see the redemption of Israel the redemption of the world come through. We don't really know how the brothers related to these blessings. We do know, however, from our Bible reading, how Joseph reacts to his youngest son getting the blessing that should have been given, at least according to Joseph, to his firstborn. In 48 verse 17, we read, when Joseph saw his father placing his hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. And so Joseph has tried to move his father's right hand to the the head of his firstborn, Manasseh. Now, up until this point, Joseph has consistently been the most faithful follower of God in the family and has served as a rescuer of the people of God. But here, Joseph wanted the blessing to come to the one who, humanly speaking, deserved it. He wanted the blessing of God to work the way he thought it should work. Instead, he saw what God was doing through Jacob and it made him unhappy. I wonder how you and I react when we see God's blessing go where we least expect it. I guess it does one or two things usually. For those who don't get it, but think they deserve it, the reaction is usually to be unhappy, to perhaps even be frustrated and angry that somebody else is blessed when it should have been me. But for those who don't deserve a blessing and get it anyway, it often stirs a humble joy, a quiet gratitude. I didn't deserve this. This is great. Like Joseph, sometimes it displeases us when God doesn't work the way we think he should. And this can lead to envy and jealousy when, in God's providence, others get what we think we should get. But then there are times, especially if we're completely honest with ourselves, and know how undeserving we are, that we're afraid that our behaviour, our thought life, our words, our weaknesses, put us beyond the reach of God's blessing. We assume we know how God will work because we think he works like us. We think that he holds grudges, he's impatient. He'll forgive to a certain point, but beyond that... And so assumptions about God makes us doubt whether we deserve any blessing any grace for people who struggle with sin or who have a weak faith or a wandering hearts. But God, through Jacob, speaks of how he will work in this story of redemption. We will see those who we think deserve it, according to human standards, are passed over. And those who are unworthy, the small, the unimportant, even great sinners like Judah, like you and I, are given places within the family of God itself. The truth is, that's how we actually need it to be. That's how Ephraim and Manasseh needed it to be. Remember that these two sons of Joseph were born to Joseph in Egypt. Their uh, Egyptian mother was the daughter of an Egyptian priest who served the gods of Egypt. Joseph himself looked and spoke like an Egyptian. He served in the royal courts of Pharaoh and was second in command of all of Egypt. These young men grew up as Egyptians. And the text has made it clear in several places that the Egyptians loathe the Hebrews, of which Jacob is the patriarch. So there really is some question about the place of these two boys among Israel and particularly their place in God's family. Are they identified as Egyptians or Hebrews, Canaanites? Do they belong to the God of Egypt or Yahweh? But just as God had once called Abraham out of of Ur of the Chaldeans and claimed Abraham for himself, now Jacob claims these two boys as though they were his own sons, no longer grandsons in question, but sons to whom belong the promises of God and the promised land itself. In verse 5 and 6 of chapter 48, Jacob claims the two sons of Joseph to be his own. And then goes on in verse 8 to 16 to formally adopt them and bless them, rejoicing that he's had this privilege of now seeing Joseph's face again and how much more as having having Joseph's children as well. In chapter 48, verse 15 and 16, Jacob blesses Joseph. Interestingly, the blessing is for his sons, but that is a blessing to Joseph. To have, his grands- to have his sons, Jacob's grandsons, recognised in this way is the great blessing to Joseph. And he says these words, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac and may they increase greatly on the earth. Now, Jacob doesn't bless the boys with his own blessing as though he had something to give them. He looks back over his life and he asks the God of the covenant, the God who has been with him wherever he has gone, the angel who has acted as God's representative, who has acted to save him time and time again. He's asked that that God, Bless these two boys. In them, Jacob desires the promise of God to be fulfilled so that they will grow into a huge family of God worshippers, Yahweh worshippers, and carry the covenant promises into the world. It's important to note that the two sons received essentially the same blessings with the same words spoken over them. But the text actually emphasizes for us that Ephraim gets the right hand of Jacob the greater blessing, instead of his older brother. As the story of redemption moves forward, the tribe of Ephraim is indeed blessed with greater numbers and greater prominence than the tribe of Manasseh. If you were to ask the reason why and try and find out some explanation, you won't find it. If you look for the reason why Jacob chooses Ephraim, over Manasseh you won't find that either what you will find is that it fits perfectly within the pattern that Genesis has already established that the blessing of God falls on those whom God wills on those to whom he's pleased to give it the qualities or character of the boys is never mentioned we don't know anything about them really but as you listen to the blessings that Jacob gives to them You hear the pleasure in his voice when he gives gives what has been so freely given to him. We're told that it pleased Jacob as it pleased the Lord to bring them into his family. No reason beyond that is needed. But this grace that was so freely given meets the boy's deepest needs. They needed a place in God's people and there would have been no way they could have got that for themselves but through Jacob acting faithfully to his God, they now have it. And so what follows in chapter 49, which we haven't had read for us, um, but uh, is the next section of the blessings, now not only to the sons, but uh, to um, to, uh, Joseph's sons, but to his other sons, Jacob's sons, uh, will help us to see what is going to happen in each of these families in the days to come. Again, he speaks prophetically here. And what is striking in this passage is that although Jacob dies as a foreigner in Egypt, owning just a burial plot in a single field in Canaan, his trust in the promises that God made to him leads him to assign parcels of land in Canaan as if he already possessed them. He's there in Egypt. They don't yet own Canaan and all that land, the promised land that God's given them. But Jacob is so convinced that he will be getting the promises fulfilled that he actually now starts assigning the land to his sons. He speaks of land for Zebulun by the shores of the sea, Gad as a frontier tribe who will endure raids from outsiders but will then raid them in return. Asher dwelling in rich farmland that would bear food fit for a king. For each of the tribes, there is hope of a future in the promised lands. That in and of itself is undeserved grace when you think about who we're talking about here. Last week, we saw the dysfunctional family that is Jacob's family, Jacob himself, that they would get this promised land is an amazing grace. And although none of them would in their lifetime see the land of which Jacob speaks in chapter 49, their descendants certainly would because God has promised it. That promise of God is what supports Jacob in this moment and gives power to the words to his son. In verse 3 and 4 of chapter 48, we heard Jacob going back to the covenant promises that were made to him so long ago. God promised to bless Jacob and his family and give the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Jacob is simply acting in faith that what God promised, God will deliver. There will be fruitfulness in the land of Naphtali, fierceness and wisdom in the family of Benjamin, pleasantness but some pain in the family of Issachar. Reuben, the oldest will be passed over as a firstborn as justice for his bold sin of sleeping with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi will be divided and scattered in the promised land because of the violence and hard heartedness of these two brothers that we see back in chapter 34 when they cruelly murder an entire city for one man's wrong. But you know there's even grace for Reuben, Simeon and Levi though it's hard to see when you read chapter 49. For these three older brothers, they lose their privileges that come with being the first, second and third born and they'll be scattered among Israel. But even so, they still have a place in the covenant and secure a place in the promised land. They've not been thrown out of the people of God, nor have they by their sin nullified the promises that God has made to them. And so it's a perfect picture for us of the undeserved grace of God. But it's interesting, God gives even more grace. I mean, consider the tribe of Levi, a violent and wrathful man that we meet in chapter 34. Moses himself belonged to the tribe of Levi and he pulls no punches as he relates Jacob's words to his great-grandfather. We hear Jacob wanting to be far from his counsel and removed from his company because of Levi's anger and stubbornness of heart. He curses the anger and wrath of Levi and he terms to scatter his family throughout Israel when they come into the promised land. But notice, they will be in that land. And in God's beautiful grace, he blesses beyond what this angry man deserves with a rich blessing. For when we go further into Numbers 18, God gives to the tribe of Levi the perpetual priesthood in Israel. To them belonged the service of the sanctuary standing between the holy God and his people to offer sacrifices to all Israel to give the tithe uh, sorry uh, and to make atonement for sin to them the law commanded all Israel to give the tithe to support them since they had no land for um for themselves to farm for to them the lord said you will have no inheritance in the land nor will you have any share among them I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. Though the Levites wouldn't have land of their own, they would have the priesthood and God himself would be their inheritance. All this, though hidden when we read it in chapter 49 of Genesis, was promised to a man who deserved nothing but judgment from God. And then there's Judah. Judah's story, I think, in Genesis, is one of the ones that encourages me the most. In chapter 37 and 38, he's cold-hearted in suggesting that they sell Joseph to the slave traders. I mean, what do you do? that Doing that to your brother? Rebellious in abandoning the people of God at the beginning of chapter 38 for a season. He just goes off and does his own thing. Blind as he bains Tamar for the death of his evil sons. Selfish as he keeps his last son from her as he was meant to give it to um, to to Tamar. Lustful as he sleeps with Tamar, thinking her to be a prostitute. A fool as he gives things of immense value as collateral for a goat, and cruel in his willingness to burn her alive for the very sin he has excused himself from. This man is not a very pleasant man, Judah. And yet, as we go through the story we find that he comes to understand that what he has done is wrong. Back last week in chapter 44, we saw that he was at the point where he willingly accepts what he knows that he deserves. Punishment for sin by offering himself to a lifetime of slavery to Joseph so that Benjamin could be set free. And yet that very moment was the turning point of his life. His repentance led to life. Confession of what he deserved led to an outpouring of grace from his brother Joseph, his father, and ultimately from God, who loves to bless those who do not deserve it. The essence of this blessing God gives to Judah through his father is that although although the inheritance of the firstborn will go to Joseph through his two sons, the royal right to rule the people of God will belong to Judah and his family. All this comes to Judah because the covenant of grace God has established out of his love and good pleasure. No worth of Judah is counted as deserving it. His actions could not earn it and his sin could not stop it from coming. By the grace of God, from Judah will come kings of the people of God, starting with David and finishing with David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus himself. You know, it's the same way for us in the gospel. Since Judah's offspring, Jesus, who's called the Lion of Judah in Revelation, uh, has come. In him, the fullness of the blessing of Judah was finally realized and the promises of the covenant have come to us, Gentiles, as promised here in this passage. Who would have expected that from Judah would be the source of the Messiah, How could Judah have ever deserved such grace and blessing to be counted in the line of the Redeemer of all things? But his way into the covenant blessings is the same as ours. The way into being blessed by God is God's undeserved grace. Like Ephraim and Manasseh, you and I are a lost people outside the covenant, living in darkness with no hope until we're adopted into the family of God. Like Judah, we deserve nothing but justice and wrath because of our sin. But when God sent Jesus, he bore that wrath of God upon himself. On the cross, the justice of God was satisfied as Jesus took upon himself Judah's coldness and rebellion, his blindness and selfishness, his lust and foolishness, as well as yours and mine, our coldness and rebellion, blindness, selfishness, and foolishness. And then in an act of greater grace, he gives to us undeserving sinners a place in his family and gives us the blessing of forgiveness and righteousness and wholeness and peace. And it all comes to us simply when we direct our faith towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And because it's all undeserved grace... Your good deeds cannot earn it and your sin cannot stop you from getting it. You see, it pleases God to show grace to those who do not deserve it. His word tells us that even though it humbles us when we're confronted with our sin, we have every reason to hope because Jesus saves sinners like you and me. That's how the Apostle Paul wants us to think about it as we think about the blessings that have come to undeserving people like us. We heard in our second Bible reading from Philippians 3 that if, humanly speaking, anyone deserved blessing from God, it was Paul. But he counts all these human measures as worth nothing, as garbage, in fact, as refuge, because what he really needed, what we all really need, is that God will give us his righteousness. And that has freely been given to us in Jesus by faith not by works if you like joseph for a moment don't like this if you would rather things work as they should where you get what you deserve well then you've got a problem with the gracious character of god himself but really do you want to face god as you deserve or perhaps you're more like me And sometimes think, why would God ever choose me? I've done too much, I've said too much, I've thought too much, I don't deserve his grace. But know this, that's actually what he loves to do. And the response he respects from us is this, before he calls for obedience, before he calls us to be living sacrifices, he calls us to see and enjoy and revel in the grace he has given us in Jesus to see and savour Jesus himself. And in that enjoyment um, that we have in Jesus, we bring glory to the Father who loves showing his grace to undeserving sinners like us. Now, friends, I want to say that's exactly the message we need to hear today. Whether you're with us here Whether you're out in cyber world listening to this on the podcast, because you're afraid to be here for what's happening amongst us, we are living in a time of heightened anxiety and fear. This weekend, sporting events have been cancelled, concerts have been cancelled. Each day across last week and going into this week, no doubt, schools have been closed one by one. Nursing homes are in lockdown. It may not be long before we can't gather like we are today for a season, for a time. All because of the spread of a virus. That I've been chosen by God, that He's lavished His love and grace on me, even though I don't deserve it or cannot earn it. And that He makes promises that He will be with us in our struggles but also promises that there will be a day when there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more virus, no more tears. These are the words, friends, we've got to hang on to right now and to trust. Just like Jacob modeled for us in our passage where he trusted the word of God before he was even in that land. He never got back to that land, but he knew that land was his and trusted god at his word we need to now trust god at his words we need to live by faith god delights to reward his children he rewarded this family this dysfunctional family he will reward us so let me finish with two quotes that i recently read that have brought me some comfort as um and give me some resolve as i've prepared this talk with my mind hijacked by this whole coronavirus pandemic and what we need to do next. Being a staff member here at church, as we think through what we need to do for our family, uh, our responsibilities, it's completely hijacked our minds. And so it's been hard to write the talk in the midst of that. But here's a couple of quotes that I found very, very helpful, um, and I thought I'd finish with these. The first comes from the great reformer Martin Luther as he faced the, the plague, the Black Death. And he said this I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed, in order not to become contaminated, and thus perchance inflict and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, He will surely find me and I have done what I has expected of me and so I'm not responsible either for my own death or the death of others. If my neighbour needs my help, however, I shall not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. In other words, I will resolve to love, trust and serve God at this time. I will love my neighbour as myself. I will seek to respect social distance. I will wash my hands because I care for others, not just getting it myself. That's the faithful response of God-fearing believers. Remember, God has chosen you. He has secured your future if you place your trust in him. And if that doesn't still give you peace of mind, then maybe these words of Corey Ten Boone may help. She said this, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. With this whole virus, if you look at the world right now, you'll be distressed. You read everything that's on social media, every news article, it will actually undo you. I can tell you because I'm pretty much doing it. If you look within for the answers to this, if you look within for your own strength to cope in this, if you look within to think that you're going to have all the answers, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, who promises to be with us now and promises our future, you'll be at rest. Friends, let's live by faith. Jacob modeled it. Joseph modeled it. Let's follow that model and live by faith. God has made promises. God keeps his promises. We can trust him. Let God's word mold our mind and shape our response, even in the midst of this time of heightened anxiety. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for time in your word, particularly when we see... Uh, these particular things being talked about where we can see your undeserved grace and favour, your love to be able to do things that we don't expect, we cannot expect, but you love doing them. We thank you for calling us into your family, though we did not deserve it and cannot earn it. And Father, now as we go through these times of heightened anxiety where we don't quite know what's next and we don't know what impact it will have on our lives, Father, we know that this is temporary. We know that um, that our future is secure because of what you have promised. We know that uh, we have a responsibility to love in these times. In fact, you want us to be a city on a hill. You want us to be the light to this community. And so help us to go and serve others um, as we're able to and to care for others as we're able to. But at this time, also do that by being careful in our interactions with others so that we don't catch the disease and pass it on father please help us to be very sensitive very careful but very
0: trusting of you in these times we pray in jesus name amen